Hey, listen, we're going to start a new series this morning. It's called Attention Getters. Attention Getters. And uh, I'm going to show you a little video clip of a movie called Invincible. It's a true story, kind of a sports movie, kind of a, you know, guy coming from the bottom of life, doesn't have a job, wife leaves him, and he becomes a professional football player. So kind of look at this, and we'll use this as a launching point for this series, Attention Getters. This series, Attention Before I take your questions, I'd like to make a quick announcement. This coming Saturday at Veterans Stadium at 9 a.m., the Philadelphia Eagles will hold open tryouts. We're open to all comers. It's open. This guy's out of his mind. Yo, Vince, what do you say? What? You're faster than half those guys anyway. Come on, give it a shot. 6-4. Let's go, gentlemen, find another gear. They do know they're supposed to be running, right? 5-7. Next! See? How we doing? I've seen glaciers move faster. Gentlemen, that's it, sir. That's it. Thank you for coming out. having trouble with this since I bought it. I'm Dick Vermeil. That's Papali. Vince, pretty good workout you just turned in. Any idea how fast you're running? No, not really. That's a 4.5. This means you're a heck of a lot faster than this car of yours. Where'd you play your college ball? I didn't play college ball. Vince, you mind me asking you how old you are? No, I don't mind. Mind me asking how old you are, Coach? Well, believe it or not, new head coach Dick Vermeil has decided to invite one person and one person only. He is Philadelphia native uh, Vince Papel, a what? former teacher who didn't even play college ball. Oh, you must be kidding me! <laughs> Okay, just a disclaimer, that was an organic juice bar, okay? And, and, and that was carbonated apple juice. But once you get beyond that, here you got a guy, 200 people on the field, and it's an open tryout, but one guy gets the coach's attention because of his speed. They're watching all these guys, they're slow as a glacier, but then this guy gets up, the clock hits, they look at him, and all of a sudden things change, and they've found their guy. 
Now, I want to suggest to you that in the very same way we can get God's attention, come on, for God to pick us to do things in life, for God to bless us. You see, when we look in the pages of the Bible and you look at life, you think, well, maybe God chose certain people by accident, or maybe because it was their mother, their father, or, or maybe because of this, or they went to school, whatever the case. But can I tell you, God uses people, God blesses people, because we get, God, we get God's attention by the things that we're doing. And in this new series, Attention Getters, I'm going to profile some people in the Bible, some obscure people in many cases, but some guys that kind of stood out in the crowd and got God's attention to do some great things in their lives because of certain choices they made and, and decisions that they made in their life. So this series is called Attention Getters. It's going to help you be successful in your life. It's going to help you do some things to kind of get that four or five when you're, quote, running the Christian race to get God's attention in your life. Now, this morning, we're going to be talking about a guy named Ananias. New Testament. He was, uh, he was, this is kind of a transitional message, what we've been doing the last few, uh, five weeks or so called God Still Speaks. We're going to look in the book of Acts this morning, but here's a guy that got God's attention because he said yes to God. Ananias was God's a yes man. Can you say that with me? He was God's yes man. And I promise you, if you, in the most basic sense as a Christian, if you are willing to do some things, if you are willing to say yes to God and what He calls you to do, you'll be successful in your business. Come on. You'll be successful in your marriage. You'll be successful in your school endeavors. And whatever that sense of purpose in your life is that you're striving for, saying yes to God gets God's attention. So let's explore it this morning as we talk about God's yes man. And I want you to look with me. Acts chapter 9 is where we'll begin. Acts 9, verse 10, and look at this guy named Ananias. Now, there was a disciple named Ananias, and the Lord called to him in a vision. Mind you, a vision can be like a, a snapshot, or it could be like a little video you take on your phone. For example, maybe uh, kids are opening presents and uh, Grandma's not there, so you take a little minute video, minute and a half, and you send it to Grandma, and here's the baby that, you know, opening your gift and very excited. Well, in a similar way, a vision can be like that, where it's some supernatural communication medium from God. But in this case, the Lord called Ananias a vision. It was Jesus himself. He said, Ananias, and what did Ananias say? Yes, Lord. Well, the Lord told him, go to the house of Judas, ask for a man named Saul. Very, very specific communication. And then verse 12, in a vision, Saul has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. Now, of course, this is Saul, the future Paul, the greatest missionary the world has ever known, wrote two-thirds of the New Testament. But at this stage of the game, he's kind of like Jacob that we read about earlier. This guy, though he's religious... He's not a believer, and he has gotten God's attention because of his great potential that he had. And lo and behold, in the middle of the day, he's going to persecute Christians, but he sees a light, and this light blinds him. He hears a voice, and he's knocked from his horse, and the voice is the Lord Jesus. And when Saul gets up from the ground, he said, Who are you, Lord? And Jesus said, I'm Jesus, the one you're persecuting. Well, now he's kind of home. He's trying to figure things out. He's blind as a bat, and he has this vision as well. And in his vision, he sees this guy named Ananias coming to pray that he would be healed. Well, that's where we pick up the story. But look at verse 13. Ananias is not excited at first. He said, Lord, I've heard many reports about all the harm he's done to your holy people. And he's come here with authority from the chief priest to arrest everyone who calls on your name. 
Excuse me. Now, how many know it's easy to sit in church to say, yeah, I'm going to say yes to what God tells me, but it's hard when you're in the real world. It's easy to sit in church and say, yeah, I'm going to do what God says. But when you're out there in the world and it's something that's risky, something that could cost your life, your reputation, your pride, your money, how many know that's a whole different ballgame sometimes? But I'm suggesting to you, here's something that God saw in Ananias. Verse 15, the Lord then responded back to Ananias, go, this man is my chosen instrument. And what happened in verse 17? Then Ananias went. God said go. And Ananias went. He was God's yes man. He goes to the house. He enters it. And then supernatural things start to happen. He places his hand on Saul. Uh, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus has sent me to you that you may again see again and then be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately something like scales fell from his eyes. He could see again a miracle not only of, of, of physical sight, but somehow in this process he's being spiritually restored. He's a believer, and now he's baptized. So now reading that story, that's a pretty, that's a pretty wow kind of story, isn't it? That's a supernatural story. It doesn't get any more supernatural than that. I mean, God picking the man that's going to lead the, 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 the push to bring the gospel around the whole world, it's set up through visions, through the voice of the Lord. But here's the deal. God had to find a man to say yes. Now, I'm going to ask you this question. Thousands of Christians on the, on, on, the, on the face of the planet at that time are actually in Jerusalem. 500 saw Jesus, remember, when he was resurrected. Uh, 3,000 on the day of Pentecost. Now we're up 10 or so chapters in the book of Acts. Thousands of believers everywhere, but God picked one guy. Now, here's my question. Why did God pick Ananias? See, sometimes we think God operates in heaven like this. Eeny, meeny, miny, moe. Pick a Christian by the toe. This is the one I want. Go talk to Saul. And we think it's kind of this matter of chance or it's luck or it's accidental. It is not true. People get God's attention. And I suggest to you that Ananias got God's attention because he was a yes man. And it is the most foundational thing that I can tell you as we start this new series. If you want to get God's attention, listen, for blessing, for protection, for deliverance, come on, for God to use your life in a great way, then you need to be a yes man. Do you think it's an accident that God chose Noah in the Old Testament to build the ark? No, he got God's attention because what? Righteous and blameless. How about, uh, how about Peter? Why did Peter, the only person in recorded history, walk on water? Why Peter? other than Jesus, it's because he said what? He said, yes, when Jesus said, get out of the boat. How about the disciples? Eleven guys, and today there's supposedly two billion Christians on the planet, from eleven to two billion, how did it happen? Jesus said, follow me, and what did they say? Yes. Now, I looked at Mr. Google and for the definition of yes man, and Mr. Google told me a yes man is someone who practices unquestioned obedience. And think about those two words, unquestioned obedience. That is whatever, quote, the boss says, that's what I'm going to do. Now, Google also added the fact that, that uh, uh, it's, a, uh, it's a flunky. Yeah, a yes man is a flunky, very derogatory term. But can I suggest to you, when you try to find true answers from secular people, you often miss the mark. Because a yes man in God's kingdom is not a flunky. The greatest compliment you could ever be given is that you're God's yes man. Amen. See, what did, remember Jesus in the Lord's Prayer? First thing we're praying, Lord, let your kingdom come. Let your will be done. I'm saying yes to your will. How about Matthew 6, when Jesus is talking about worry and food and all those different things? He said, seek ye first 
the kingdom of God. In other words, being God's yes man is the greatest compliment that God could give you in this life. That you are literally someone that delights to do what God calls you to do. Now, I want to help you in a very, very practical way because saying yes to God is not some feeling that we'll pick up in church. It's not just an abstract thing, but very practically and tangibly, you can become God's yes person if you say, number one, yes to His commandments, yes to your conscience when it's redeemed, and thirdly, yes to His voice. So let me say it again. First, say it with me. Yes to His commandments, yes to your conscience, and yes to the voice of the Holy Spirit. Let's explore these three things. Is I'll help you on your journey towards success becoming God's yes person. Now, you know, if you're a young person here and you're saying, my life's in front of me, my career is in front of me, I'd like to, you know, have a nice house, uh, drive a, you know, whatever, nice car, nice truck, I'd like to have nice things, vacations, blah, blah, blah. I, I want to have a career, I want to make a difference in my life, you know, I want my life to count and matter to something. Don't you think it makes sense that if you could plug into God's plan, you'll have more and be more than you could ever do on your own? I mean, doesn't it make sense that the God who created you has a plan marked out for you? And if you want to find happiness in life, stay with me now, if you want to have purpose in life, do you think you can find it anywhere else apart from God's perfect plan? And doesn't it just make sense that the quicker I say yes to God is the quicker I'm going to begin, come on, to get into the purpose for which I was created that will bring you more happiness than all the money in the world could ever bring you. And it starts by saying yes to get on God's track. Psalm 1, uh, 1 John chapter, chapter 5, we say yes to God by saying yes to His commandments. Now, I want to ask you kind of a heart-to-heart. -heart. When you look at this book, what, what, what's the first thing that comes to your mind? Is it, oh man, that's the rules that cramp my style. It keeps me from having fun. It, it's too constricting. Or, when you look at this book, does it show you the way to make God happy? Come on. And does it show you the way to have a blessed life? I'm telling you, it's two very, very different outlooks. For some people, and that's the way I used to look at it, is this was the thou shalt nots. And God's this meaning in heaven. But the other way that you can look at this book is this is the way to show how I can make him happy and how he'll bless my life. Come on. Because the happiness that the world offers us is a false happiness that's not lasting. And you see, where this starts on this side of the equation is it starts with relationship with God. And hear me now. I used to think Christianity was about rules, but Christianity is not about rules. Christianity is about a relationship with God. You see, I don't, I don't do what God says because I'm just scared of Him, though the fear of God is a good thing. I follow God because I, it, it makes Him happy and it makes me happy and it be at peace when I'm following Him. Now listen to what the Scripture says. 1 John chapter 5, verse 3. It says, loving God means... Stop right there. Don't read any farther. What does it mean to love God? I mean, people all over the world... Listen, everybody in the world wants to go to heaven, right? I mean, I don't care what kind of life they live. Even the gangsters, come on, when they have their funerals and they go by the caskets, you know, he's going to be in a better place now. I mean, everybody wants this relationship with God and love God. But the Bible tells us what it means to love God. It says this. It means, say it with me. He keeping his commandments. And his commandments are not 
burdensome. In other words, it's not a bummer. It's not just rules. It's not the thing that I have to do, but it's the delight of my heart to walk with God. Now, let me compare this if I can. My relationship with God and yours is like a marriage. I've been married to Linnell this uh, uh, April. It'll be 30 years. Long time, 60 years between us. You could have said something after that. I mean, that's a long time. 60 years. Now, I, over those years, I've learned what makes her happy, what makes her sad, and I've probably got an idea of what would make her leave me. Come on, if I did it enough. See, you know somebody. Well, I'll tell you this. I know what makes her happy. One thing that makes my wife happy, very practical, is she likes clean house, and she likes you know, things to be in order. So if she goes on a missions trip or she goes to see her folks or something, I'm going to do my best to make sure that things look good around the house. Come on, when she gets back. But I'm not doing it because I'm trying to you know, get on her good side. I'm not doing it because I have to. I'm not doing it to get out of the doghouse or because I messed up or because I'm scared of her. I'm doing it because I love her. And can I tell you, in the most basic sense, as we say yes to the commandments of God, it's because we love Him. Listen, uh, the psalmist, Psalms 119, he said this. He said, oh, how I love your instructions. He's talking about the Bible. The longest psalm in all the, bu in all the Bible is about this book itself. I love your instructions. I think about them all day long. Your commands give me an edge on my enemies. They never become obsolete. I've even become smarter than my teachers since I ponder and absorb your counsel. We're talking about the Bible. I watch my step, avoiding the ditches and ruts of evil so I can spend all my time keeping your word. I never make detours from the route you laid out. You give me such good directions. And I'm telling you, if you want to get the edge, if you want to get God's attention in life, start by saying yes to His commandments. Come on, give the Lord a good hand this morning. Now, let me give you another one. The second way that we say yes to God is saying yes to our conscience. Now, stay with me now. I'm talking about a redeemed conscience that I'll explain. Now, our conscience is simply an inner voice. It is an awareness of right and wrong, a consciousness. And how many know everybody's got a conscience? Everybody has one. Uh, let me give you an example of how this works across the continuum. When my daughter Rebecca, who informed me that the toilet papering was not about me, it was about her, she said, uh, she said uh, when she was five years old, we were on vac family vacation, and we were with my wife's folks, and they had a little lake house, and we'd been fishing. And I, I, I caught this nice catfish. He's about eight or ten pounds, and that's pretty nice. Uh, that's not as nice as that show Mudcats. Now, anybody ever watch that show where they catch fish with their hands? How many people would like to do that? Let me see your hand here. Let me, no, no, no. I want to see real high. You'd like to catch fish with your hands. I want to see who needs medication in the service this morning. All right. There's probably about 10 of you out there. Well, anyway, we catch this fish, and I've been talking all day about having a fish fry, and she is so excited because she likes to go wherever, catfish king, and eat fish. Well, I took my fillet knife, and when I began to cut that fish, she said, Daddy, no, you're killing him. Okay, now why did she say that? Because her conscience, conscience her sense of right and wrong, I was taking the life of the fish. Okay? Now, I want you to think, let's move to the gangster movie that you watch, and the gangster just kills this guy like it's no big deal, then drinks the cup of coffee on the, uh, he left on the counter, and he looks at his friend and said, that's just business. Come on, let's go have lunch. Now, how can that man, 
he has a conscience, but what he's done is he's defiled his conscience. Come on, he's corrupted his conscience. He's hardened his conscience, and he's lost the sense of right and wrong. In Rebecca's case, she had to kind of be upgraded a little bit in terms of how food comes about, that God provided food for us. Are, are you with me today? But the conscience is a sense of right and wrong. And here's the deal. For the Christian, your conscience can be shaped by the Word of God and by the Holy Spirit. And when it is, it's a reliable guide. Now, let me give you a scripture. Romans chapter 9, verse 1. He says, I am in Christ, and I am telling you the truth. I do not lie. Say this with me. My conscience is ruled by the Holy Spirit, and it tells me I am not lying. Think about that. My conscience is ruled by the Holy Spirit. Now, I've got to be honest with you. I can't figure out sometimes the voice of my mind when I'm thinking thoughts. I've got my conscience inside here somewhere. I've got emotions and desires and somewhere in this, the Holy Spirit speaks to me too. How many know this kind of inner world that we live in? It's kind of hard to dissect, but everybody knows that it's real and we know what we're talking about. You know, the sheriff knows that when somebody will oftentimes turn themselves in after committing a crime years earlier, why? Because their conscience bothers them. See, so this is a sense that God has given us to show us right and wrong. It's the thing that hopefully operates in your life when you go in the store and they give you too much change. Come on, you got an extra $10 bill and you're walking out of Walmart saying, thank God the wealth of Walmart was laid up for the just today. No, that's not the way you get Walmart money. You buy their stock or you work there. A conscience would say when they put too much money in your hand would say, you know what, this is, this, this is not mine. This was too much money. See, why is that? It, that's, the, that's God's sense of right and wrong. Now, here's the danger, and I want you to listen to me in this. You can harden your conscience. You can harden your heart, as the Bible would say. Uh, the Bible tells us in Titus 1, it says, verse 5, 15, to those who are corrupted and do not believe, nothing is pure, but their minds and their consciences are corrupted. You can corrupt your conscience, just like the gangster justifying his murder. Titus tells us as well, he says, uh, uh, 1 Timothy 4, rather, liars whose consciences are what? Seared. Remember your old tough man movies, you know, where you're seeing Rambo and John Wayne, and they get shot or cut or something, and they're at the campfire, and they take an old branding iron or a piece of steel, and, and they're bleeding, and they just go, slap some iron on it. And you just hear that little sizzling sound. Well, what have they done? They cauterized the wound, but they seared it so it stops bleeding. And when you say no to your conscience long enough, it stops bleeding too. See, that's why sin, when we repetitively sin, that's why our conscience no longer bothers us. You remember when you first started doing something, how you were aware it was wrong? Your parents had told you, you, you felt it was wrong inside, but because your friends were doing it, you pretty much did it enough times where now you do it and it doesn't even bother you. How many understand what I'm talking about? About six honest people. The rest of them are lying there. You know, come on. I mean, they're just liars in this room today. Because every one of us know what that's like. But what I'm telling you for the Christian, our goal needs to be to have a clear conscience. Look at Acts 24, 16. He says, I always take pains to have a clear conscience towards who? Towards God and to man. And I'm telling you, if you will let that be your goal, that I want to have a clear conscience, that's why you can sleep at night. Come on. 
Because your conscience is clean towards people. And if you will resolve in your heart today, I'm going to allow the Holy Spirit and the Bible to shape my conscience. And when I mess up, now listen, when I mess up, which we all do. How I many know the scripture tells us that? The Bible says if a man says there, he has not sinned, he's lying, he's deceiving himself. But when I sin, I don't run away from God, I run to God. You see, it's when I say, Holy Spirit, just ignore it, just la, 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 la. That's when you'll harden your conscience. But when you've messed up, if you'll go to God right in the middle of it and say, Lord, I want to ask you to forgive me. My flesh may be enjoying this, but I know in my heart of hearts what I'm doing is wrong. And I want to ask you to forgive me. Come on. And I want to ask you to help get me out of this ditch. I'm telling you, you'll keep your conscience fresh and alive, and you'll end up with a clear conscience before God and man. And if you want to get God's attention, come on, be somebody that says yes to the voice of a redeemed conscience. Give the Lord a good hand this morning. Let's look at one more, Acts chapter 9. We say yes to God by saying yes to the voice of the Lord. Now, this is our text again with Ananias, but let me condense it a little more, and I want you to stay with me on this. Uh, Acts chapter 9, verse 10, there was a disciple named Ananias. And the Lord called to him in a vision, Ananias, say it with me, yes, Lord, he answered. And the Lord told him, go and ask for a man named Saul, and the Lord Ananias answered, I've heard many reports about this man and all the harm he has done to your holy people. But the Lord said to Ananias, go, and Ananias went. Now, here's the point, saying yes to the voice of the Lord. How many know we have got to be willing to act and willing to take a risk? See, now, let me tell you a little story, true story. Um, when I was in high school, I was a quarterback. And the first game of the season, I remember we were, it was a really tight game. And we were, you know, the coach was trying to find a way to kind of break the game open. And he called the pass play. And I remember the guy came out on the field. And, and before the play started, it was an offside. So there was a penalty. And we got five yards. Well, after the penalty, I called a running play. And we didn't make it. And, of course, we had to punt the ball. And when I went back to the sidelines, the coach was livid. I mean, he's saying, what is wrong with you? The tight end was wide open. It was just a little down and out, and he was right behind the linebackers, and I just dropped my head in shame. I, I wouldn't say anything. Well, now I know as an adult the problem was I was unwilling to take the risk because I didn't have confidence in my ability. And I want to suggest to you, you've got to be willing to take the risk with the voice of the Lord. See, Ananias, listen, he knew that Christians were being killed because of Saul of Tarsus. That was a fact. But yet, God was calling him to face the fact and do something that was uncomfortable to him. Basically, what God was saying, I'm the coach of this team, come on, and what I want you to do is I want you to throw the ball and leave the results to me because I can see the playing field way better than you can. And that's exactly the dynamic that was going on. And I want to suggest to you the same thing works in our life as well, that you and I have got to be willing to throw the ball when the Holy Spirit prompts us to do something. Yeah. Now, it's easy to sit here in church and say, oh, yeah, you know, when God talks to me, I'm going to do it. <laughs> but when you get out in the let's say you're in the mall, and you're just walking down the mall, and, uh, you know, you're headed towards a little pretzel place to get you a pretzel. I mean, that's the only reason I'd go to the mall. I hate to shop. I doubt a couple amens. I got snare scowls from the ladies. But anyway, you're going to the mall, and all of a sudden, your eye catches somebody across the mall. And I'm not talking about girl watching, okay? 
I'm talking about you see a person and you get the burden of the Lord. Let me understand what I'm talking about. You don't know them from Adam, but you just feel drawn to them like you're supposed to pray for them, like you know there's some trouble in their life. Or maybe you feel God showed you something specific, a family problem. Last week before our Saturday night service, one of, the, one of the, uh, our leaders said, I just feel like there's going to be somebody struggling with suicide in the services. And, uh, well, we offered that prayer venture. I mean, that's a pretty big thing to stand up and say, much less to respond to. Well, after the service Saturday night, I'm leaving going down the side aisle, and uh, this person reached out to me and said, I was the person you were talking about about suicide. And we were able to make a connection, a prayer with them, help them get back on track, and they were in church last night. Now, how many know God is the coach? And what God wants us to do is be willing to throw the ball. And when the Holy Spirit says, I want you to do something, how many know you've got to be willing to do it? You've got to be willing to say yes to God. Uh, how about praying? Maybe you've been praying about something, and you feel like you know what the Lord said to do. Then the question is, am I going to do it? Am I, gonna, am I willing to take the risk? Or here's a big one. How about giving money? You got so quiet. <laughs> Let's say you get up and you're on your way out. You've said hello to your friends and all that. And you're just about to walk by the back door. And your eyes fall on this person. And they don't look poor or anything like that. They have a need. But God prompts you. He's nudging you. I want you to give them that 20 or that 100 in your pocket. Is that easy to do or is that hard to do? I'm suggesting to you that Ananias said yes simply because God was calling him to do it. And that's what got God's attention. I tell a story on myself here. It's kind of funny, but it's kind of embarrassing. A number of years ago, I was, I was uh, uh, at Christmas time. Somebody gave me a $100 bill. I mean, that's a nice little present. You got the pages already folded back in the Duck Hunters magazine. And anyway, I'm kind of ready to pull, pull the trigger on this thing. And uh, it was uh, on Thursday, it was Wednesday night, and on Thursday morning, uh, before I had a chance to call, you know, 1-800-SEND-MY-STUFF, I was with some preachers, and it was a little pastor's prayer meeting, and, and they were just going to go around the circle, and one of them shared about his daughter in Houston, and she was going through a divorce, and the family pain, and all the trouble and everything that was going on. And uh, I just heard this voice inside, give him that $100 to help his daughter. And I said what you would probably say, get thee behind me, Satan, for thou savorest not the things of duck hunting, but thou savorest the things of the kingdom. And you know what I did? Nothing. <laughs> and for five days, I was plagued. And after five days, I thought, this is nuts. And I figured out where the guy lived and just got put it in an envelope and put it in his mailbox. And it, it kind of lifted. I'm so glad God kept after me for five days. But how many know if you are Saul of Tarsus, you're knocked off your horse and you're blinded, come on, you don't have five days to wait around. You need somebody that says yes to the Holy Spirit just because he said it. And I'll suggest to you that the key to blessing, to favor, to being used of God in a great and a significant way is the willingness to say yes to that voice. Come on, give the Lord a good hand today. Well, let me close with this, Isaiah 6, verse 8, because, see, friends, God is looking for people willing to say yes to him. Young person starting your career, God's looking for you to say yes. 
If you've gone through the pain of a divorce, God's looking for you to say yes to get on with the rest of your life. Come on. If you're in the business world, you're trying to get ahead, God's looking for you to say yes. If our life is surrendered to Him. Listen, Isaiah 6 verse 8. What I'm talking about is an attitude of our hearts towards God. Isaiah 6 8, I heard the Lord asking, Whom shall I send as a a messenger to this people? And who will go for us? And Isaiah said, Here I am. (laughs) Send me. Now, here's a guy who the prophet Isaiah was a a clarion voice to the nation and is today recorded one of the longest books of prophecy in the Bible, looking not only to the end times, but paints the most graphic portrait of Christ and his coming to the world. It was simply because he said yes. And come on, if he said no, I mean, no, God will keep looking until he finds somebody to say yes. This is an attitude of the heart. And you see, it was this heart attitude that got God's attention in Ananias' life 2,000 years ago. 2,000 years ago, there was a guy riding on a donkey, and he was, thought he was doing God's work. He was corralling Christians. He was arresting them. He was putting them in jail. His reputation was such that he was a Pharisee among Pharisees. He was educated. He had the religious pedigrees. He had a zeal for God, but it was misdirected. And God looked at his life, and God says, I see great, great potential in your life, and I'm going to put a pause in your life. And God stopped him, and he was knocked from his horse, and his name is Saul. God saw that one day he would do three great mission journeys around the Mediterranean world, that he would be the guy that would pin two-thirds of the New Testament. But God said, rather than send an angel to him, which is rare, God said, I need a man. And here's old Ananias, thousands of Christians around there, but one guy got God's attention. And one guy has bragging rights for all eternity. Come on, how many know his name is Ananias? And everything that that Saul began to do, Ananias knew that I had a little part to play in it simply because I said yes. And that's my message to you this morning. If you want to be somebody that gets yourself in position for God to bless you, bring success in your life, and use you in a significant way, be someone that says yes to His commandments, yes to your conscience, and yes to the voice of the Lord. Come on, give Him a big hand today. He's worthy of our praise. Let's go ahead and sing, Pastor Nick. And I just want to ask you just a second. We're just going to just take a moment in God's presence. And I want you to just kind of reflect on this a second. And and what God, what, what might the Holy Spirit be saying to you about what you've heard today? Let's just sing together. Take this offering that I bring. Humbly I fall on my knees to proclaim your everything. My life's nothing without you. Take my hand and lead me through. You are my sustaining love. And I leave to to your feet as we just make a prophetic step to say yes to God. Here we are, Lord.
bow your heads a moment just to kind of shut everybody else out and simply as a way of submitting yourself before God and could you just let him hear you say the words yes Lord just let him hear you verbalize that yes Lord I just offer myself to you this morning and to the best of my ability I say yes but Lord you know me and you know that I tend to say no a lot too And I want to ask you to help me with that. Would you just kind of make this your own prayer? Lord, not only do I want to ask you to forgive me when I don't keep your commandments, but I want to ask you to help me love you so much that I look at them in a whole different way. That it wouldn't just be the rules of my religion, but it would be the way to make you happy and the way for me to have a happy life. Lord, I also ask you today to give me a conscience that works. I want to ask you to forgive me for the things I've done that have hardened my heart, hardened my conscience. I don't want to call things internally right that you call wrong. And I don't want to call wrong what you call right. I want to ask you to help me kind of resharpen my conscience so that it's a reliable God. And then I want to pray that the Holy Spirit would help me obey it. And Lord, this last one is a real big thing. I want you to help me mature enough to where I hear your voice. And help me not be afraid to throw the ball. Today, Jesus, I say you're the coach and you know what play needs to be called. Would you please help me have courage to say yes? And I just ask you now to fill me with your Holy Spirit. Come on, lift your hands to heaven with me. Say, God, just fill me afresh with your Spirit. Just fill me afresh. If I'm like a, if I'm like a, a, a glass of water, Lord, I don't want to just be a quarter full or half full. I, I want your Spirit just to have full measure in my life. And I want you to help me do what I can never do on my own. And I just ask you to just seal this word in my heart today. In Jesus' name. Hey, before we check out this morning, let, let me offer for many of you that are here today an opportunity for a personal prayer at the end. For most of us that are here today, what we just did is what needed to be done. But for several of us this morning, th- you need to take a personal step. Here's what I mean. M- maybe you've got something in your life that, you know, you don't just say no to God because it's, you know, kind of in your control. Maybe it's like a stronghold in your life. It's controlling you. That's kind of the basis of an addiction. How I many know it's a control? People that do it know they shouldn't do it, but do it anyway. Can I suggest to you that there may be a spiritual dynamic to that? That it could be the fact that Satan has trapped you and you need somebody to pray for you and ask God to break that power off your life. I mean, no, sometimes we don't need just willpower. We need spirit power. Or, or, or maybe, you know, when we were talking about fear and, and, and going to someone that you don't know, maybe that just sends shock waves in your life because there's such a fear. And, and how many know fear can be controlling and fear can be a tool of Satan? The Bible says God's not given us a spirit of fear, but power, love, and of a sound mind. Maybe you need to pray, have someone pray for you that fear would be broken off of your life. I don't know what it is, but if you just kept trying to feel something drawing you to come to the altar today, to come to the place of God, let us pray for you. Most important thing we could pray for you today is if you need to get right with God. 
Last night I was leaving, uh, as we were leaving the, the sanctuary, there was, there was a young man came out. He'd been there a couple weeks. And I said, well, how are you doing? He said, well, you know, not too good. I, I'm really trying to get my life right with God. And I, and, and I scratched my head and I said, why didn't you go to the front and let somebody pray for you? He said, well, I don't know. And I said, well, let's go down there right now. And somebody took him down and committed his life to Christ. Can I tell you, that is the starting place of the Christian life, surrendering your life to God. And I used to think that the Christian life was about me just trying harder. Come on, me just making, you know, me just doing, uh, and it's on my shoulder. It's not. The starting place of the Christian life is surrendering your life to Jesus and receiving Him as Savior and Lord. And, and maybe you're here today and you'll say, Pastor, that is what I need. I need God's forgiveness, but I want to invite Christ to be in control of my life. I want to invite Jesus to be my Lord and Savior. I need to get right with God, and I need to get on track with Him. If that's you, would you just raise your hand real quickly? Say, pray for me, Pastor. I want to get right with God today. I want to put my life in His hands. All right, praise the Lord. We'll give you another opportunity, but if you need any of these prayer times, we're going to just sing this chorus through one time, and then we'll dismiss. But I want our prayer team to just slip out of their chair right now, and they're coming to the altar. And if you want prayer for any of these things, you feel God drawing you, you come and let us pray for you. I love you very much, and thanks for coming. I'll see you next week and Wednesday night. Come let us pray for you.